Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is the March 2nd, 2017 Spygate show that started it all. We have another phony scandal. And Attorney General Jeff Sessions is now recusing himself from any investigation that might involve Russia and the Trump campaign. Now, what was Jeff Sessions' offense? Did he agree to give 20% of America's uranium to the Russians? No. Did he whisper in Medvedev's ear that uh, after the election, you know, we'll be able to work things out and so forth like Obama did? No. Nope. Well, what did he do? He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. And 16 Republicans in the House and Senate insisted that he recuse himself. Well, what's the allegation? Well, the allegation is he wasn't forthright with Senator Al Franken. Forthright about what? about having one chance meeting with the Russian ambassador and then having one meeting in his Senate office as a senator with the Russian ambassador. Well, why would he want to cover that up? Exactly. He said he never had any discussions about the campaign and so forth. It's a senator. The senator. He met with the Russian ambassador in September. And he says he didn't discuss the campaign. What if he had discussed the campaign? It depends on what he would have said about the campaign. So what does he have exactly to cover up? In the chance meeting, in the, in the actual meeting in his Senate office, with the Russian ambassador, what's there to cover up? What is there to cover up? So now any meetings that occurred with the Russian ambassador or conversations with the Russian ambassador that anybody in the Trump orbit may have had during the course of the campaign is a scandal. That's where we are. And you can bet that you're going to see Republicans throwing these guys overboard just like they did today. And I blame, quite frankly, the administration when they threw General Flynn overboard for exactly the same damn thing, pretty much. And all you do is feed these people. Their desire to destroy this administration or anyone who would have beaten Hillary Clinton is insatiable. They're not going to stop. I told you that the day after the election. And so they have succeeded in having Jeff Sessions mostly because of the Republicans in recusing himself 
when it comes to certain areas of investigation that might involve the Trump administration and the Trump campaign. Did Eric Holder ever recuse himself on anything? Did Loretta Lynch ever recuse recuse herself on anything? This is the game they play. And it is so pathetic to watch these Republicans on Capitol Hill. It makes your stomach just, it's unbelievable. Not even 24 hours. And they're all over TV bragging about the fact that uh, Sessions should recuse himself. Recuse himself for what? There's a bigger scandal here, folks. And this is what I want to walk you through again. There is a much bigger scandal here. We have a prior administration. Barack Obama and his surrogates who were supporting Hillary Clinton and their party, the Democrat Party, who were using the instrumentalities of the federal government, intelligence activities, to surveil members of the Trump campaign and to put that information out in the public. Those are police state tactics. Nothing General Flynn did. Nothing General Sessions has done. Or even in the same category as that. All right, February 15th. February 15th, just a few weeks ago. Here's what I said on the show. Cut one, go. Where did the orders come from to intercept these phone calls? To record these phone calls? How many more phone calls involving Michael Flynn and other would-be administration officials were intercepted and recorded? Were the President of the United States, the now President of the United States, Donald Trump, were his phone calls intercepted and recorded? I am speaking as somebody who is Chief of Staff to an Attorney General. I am telling you, it is not that simple to get authorization from the FISA court. It's not that simple to be tapping into phone calls or recording phone calls, particularly of private citizens. And so the question is, how many of Michael Flynn's phone calls to various foreign leaders were intercepted by the Obama administration and recorded by the Obama administration? How many phone calls by Donald Trump, if any, have been intercepted by the Obama administration and recorded by the Obama administration and all the other transition officials involved in foreign policy and national security and defense policy. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the real scandal. My question to you is this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm live now. Today's reporting on Sessions having a chance meeting with the ambassador this summer of Russia and an actual meeting in his Senate office in September. Where did that information come from? Where did that information come from? I haven't had a chance to listen to anything today in terms of talk radio, which I rarely do anyway. But the question, where did that information come from? And look at the timing of it. To try and put the kibosh on Trump's speech. So the question, ladies and gentlemen, is, was Obama surveilling top Trump campaign officials during the election? In other words, was the President of the United States, on behalf of Hillary Clinton and the Democrat Party, using our intelligence services or the FISA court, 
to gather information on their opponents. This is a massive scandal, the likes of which we've never seen. And I asked my buddy Andrew McCarthy about this offline. We talk a lot, do a number of us. He said to me, we absolutely know this is true. The FBI did a preliminary criminal investigation based on potential of connection between a server in Trump Tower and a couple of Russian banks. That turned out to be a dry hole. But one of the most outrageous things I've ever seen, he wrote me, totally uncovered by the media, of course. Instead of closing the investigation, the Obama Justice Department tried to turn it into a FISA court investigation in June. (coughs) Excuse me. Apparently, the first application they submitted named Trump. But we don't know whether that means named him as a proposed surveillance target or just mentioned his name in the application someplace. In any event, even the FISA court, which is very solicitous of government surveillance requests, said no. There wasn't enough evidence to make out probable cause involving Donald Trump. The required FISA showing to get a wiretap is probable cause. Probable cause that the target is an agent of a foreign power. This must mean that in the middle of the campaign, while people like, uh, okay, I won't mention what he wrote there. In the middle of the campaign, Obama's Justice Department was actively having Trump and some of his associates investigated, suggesting to a United States court that they were agents of Vladimir Putin's regime. In October, stretch run of campaign and five months after FISA court said no. The Obama Justice Department goes back to the FISA court with what we're told was a more narrowly tailored application. This one does not mention Trump. The FISA court approved it, and the apparent targets were Manafort, Stone, and Page. Paul Manafort, Roger Stone, and Carter Page. For all we know, it might still be going on. The New York Times wrote a big story about it in mid-January. In the story, after all the heavy breathing at the beginning, the Times concedes the investigation of Manafort and the others may have nothing to do with Trump and the Russian hacking and appears to arise out of the work Manafort did for Ukraine. Anyway... This is infuriating. It's infuriating that this has gone on. I would like to know how we, the information is even known and got out to the media about these meetings with Sessions and the ambassador. Not that there was a damn thing wrong with them. There'd be no reason to cover up the chance meeting and the actual meeting in the Senate office. Why would you cover it up? There's no reason to cover it up. And the Republicans immediately buckle. And by the way, the same ones almost all the time. It's, it's embarrassing. But I'm not done. I want you to understand exactly what's going on here. There's two more big, crucially important pieces of information you need to know about. I'll be right back. Lovin'.
At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith, and their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion? All students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. Going back to where it all began, this is the March 2nd, 2017 Silent Coup Show. Everybody's missing the point. The incredible scandal here is the Obama administration was investigating top officials in the Trump campaign, maybe even Trump himself. During the course of the election. Listen to this from the Washington Post today. U.S. investigators have examined contacts Attorney General Jeff Sessions had with Russian officials during the time he was advising Trump's presidential campaign, according to people familiar with the matter. They were investigating a sitting United States senator who hadn't done anything? They're investigating a sitting attorney general who hasn't done anything based on what premise? The fact that he was advising Donald Trump? Is this not appalling and shocking to you? The focus of the U.S. counterintelligence investigation has been on communications between Trump campaign officials and Russia. The inquiry involving Mr. Sessions is examining his contacts while serving as Mr. Trump's foreign policy advisor in the spring and summer of 2016, one person familiar with the matter said. Why? Why are they investigating Sessions? On what basis? On what basis whatsoever? He has no financial links to Russia. He holds no quarter or special brief for Russia. This is astounding to me. Absolutely. I am telling you as somebody who served under an attorney general, directly under an attorney general, I can't believe this. What we need to find out here, ladies and gentlemen, is what the Obama administration and the government agencies under the Obama administration was doing during the course of this election. That's what we need to find out. Listen to this story in the New York Times. Obama administration rushed to preserve intelligence of Russian election hacking. You see how coordinated it is? It's coming from the top. These damn fool Republicans in Congress, it is pathetic. They are sickening. In the Obama administration's last day, some White House officials, White House officials, that is, Obama's underlings, 
scrambled to spread information about Russian efforts to undermine the presidential election and about possible contacts between the associates of President-elect Donald J. Trump and Russians across the government. So what information did Obama and his surrogates in the Oval Office, around the Oval Office, have about Donald Trump and his advisors and people on his staff that they were spreading around the government because they knew it would leak? They're the fingerprints. Now, the New York Times doesn't intend it to be so. There are the fingerprints right there. Former American officials say they have two aims, to ensure that such meddling isn't duplicated in future American or European elections and to leave a clear trail of intelligence for government investigators. No, 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 no. Their goal. Let me tell you what's going on here. Here's the phrase. Here's the phrase. This is a silent coup. Silent, nonviolent coup. That's what's going on here. That is what's going on here. The Obama administration holdovers, the Obama administration lackeys outside of government, Schumer, Pelosi, all of them, this is exactly what's going on. And the rest of the New York Times piece is mostly propaganda. But right up front in the first paragraph, they give it away. So in other words, this information that was being collected, maybe by the NSA, the CIA, the DIA, the FBI, who knows? Maybe all of them. Was obviously provided to the Oval Office. Because it says right here, in the Obama administration's last days, some White House officials scrambled to spread information about Russian efforts to undermine the presidential election across the government. So they gathered the information, and they were spreading it across the government for the purpose of having it leaked a felony to the media. Correct? How else do you read that? Well, there's no other way to read that. But they did more than that. They had to create the circumstances where they would get the information and be able to spread it to other departments and agencies before they leave office. Because the current policies in place didn't allow that. So you know what they did? We talked about this before, the great Michael Walsh piece in PJ Media. They gave, on the way out the door, the NSA broad new powers to share all kinds of intel information with all kinds of agencies and departments on the way out the door. I'll get to that in a minute. We'll be right back. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Going back to where it all began, this is the March 2nd, 2017 Silent Coup Show. Just a few weeks ago, my buddy Michael Walsh over at PJ Media noticed something. A little remarked upon item in the New York Times in January of this year. It said, in its final days, the Obama administration has expanded the power of the NSA to share globally intercepted personal communications with the government's 16 other intelligence agencies before applying privacy protections. Got that? Before applying privacy protections. In other words, enabling people to leak it more easily. More people have it without the proper protections. The new rules significantly relax long-standing limits. This is the New York Times. Again, the new rules significantly relax long-standing limits on what the NSA may do with the information gathered by its most powerful surveillance operations. Now, take that story. Take that story and the story I just read to you from today, same newspaper, New York Times. In the Obama administration's last days, some White House officials scrambled to spread information about Russian efforts to undermine the presidential election across the government. So... They knew exactly what they were doing. They changed the NSA rule. They gathered the information at the White House. They spread the information to their plants throughout the federal government. And now you know what's going on. Meanwhile, prior to that, in the summer, they were surveilling and eavesdropping on potentially Donald Trump Clearly, his senior transition folks and campaign folks. And trying to, ladies and gentlemen, not get to the bottom of the Russian influence in the campaign, but to destroy the Republican campaign. And now to destroy the Republican presidency. I don't care if you're a populist, a nationalist, a conservative, a moderate Republican, an independent... It's time to speak out. This is an attack on our constitutional system. This is an attack on the election. Screw all the policies. This is deeper than that. It's deeper than that. We have a silent coup attempt going on here. And clowns on Capitol Hill that call themselves Republicans are so stupid they're joining in the choir. This was set up early on, months ago. An entire coordination effort going on here by the fifth column. This isn't a conspiracy. I got this from the New York Times and earlier the Washington Post. Are they in on the conspiracy? Are they in on the conspiracy? 
They're investigating a United States senator, now an attorney general, who had a chance meeting with the ambassador to Russia, later had an actual meeting with the ambassador of Russia, says, hey, look, talking about the campaign or anything like that, who had absolutely no reason to cover up those contacts, none whatsoever, and thus did not. This is what happens when you take a great man like Mike Flynn and you throw him to the wolves. And you throw him to the wolves. Does the vice president of the United States who participated in that? Does the vice president of the United States think he is immune from these attacks one day? He's not. They don't want Mike Flynn. They don't want Jeff Sessions. They don't want Steve Bannon. They don't want Steve Miller. They don't want Kellyanne Conway and Priebus and the rest. They want Trump. And they want Pence. That's what they want. That's what they want. By hook or by crook. Here's Franken to Jeff Sessions at the January 10 hearing. Cut to go. CNN just published a story alleging that the intelligence community provided documents to the president-elect last week that included information that, quote, Russian operatives claimed to have compromising personal and financial information about Mr. Trump. These documents also allegedly stated, quote, there was a continuing exchange of information during the campaign between Trump surrogates and intermediaries for the Russian government. Now let's stop there. We know about this dossier put out by BuzzFeed, a left-wing crank phony website. We know about that. We know CNN, despite defending it, oh, we didn't do all that. Well, we asked quite. CNN regurgitated big chunks of it. It's been discredited. That's the basis of his question. So this document is leaked, filled with crap. It's been bouncing around the news uh, offices for months and months and months prior to the election. And then BuzzFeed puts it out. And CNN regurgitates parts of it. And that's the basis of his question. The, the act of putting that dossier together, the act of putting it out, the act of trying to spread it during the course of the election, that's the issue. That's the issue. Go ahead. Now, again, I'm telling you this is it's coming out. So, uh, you know, but if it's true, it's obviously extremely serious. And if there is any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign, what will you do? So, so let's stop there. So now you've heard the context of the question. The idea that if a senator sat down with an ambassador, quite frankly from any country, but Russia too, in his office in September, the idea that that was covered by this inquiry, when 93% of the question related to this, this dossier, I think we can all understand what the nature of the question was. It wasn't, you know, Mr. Sessions, have you ever today 
or during the course of this campaign, met with the Russian ambassador? That would have been stupid, the question. Senators meet with ambassadors, big deal. We even have Democrat senators and Democrat House members who go overseas, meets with dictators, communist leaders, genocidal maniacs to uh, undermine Republican administrations. We've seen that before, now haven't we? So the idea that a United States senator meets with the ambassador from Russia, that there's something extraordinarily odd about that, is ridiculous. And here's his answer. Go ahead. Senator Franken, I'm not aware of um, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians, um, and I'm unable to comment on it. Now listen to the structure of his answer. This is the way the left reads the uh, Second Amendment. You know, they always forget the entire sentence. Well, let's watch and look at the entire sentence. I've been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians. In other words, he didn't have communications with the Russians as a surrogate of the Trump campaign. He met with the ambassador as a United States senator as part of his official duties. And even having met with the ambassador, there was no discussion of the campaign and, and all the rest of it. And so now we have a scandal, you see, ladies and gentlemen. No, we don't. This entire thing has been fabricated, orchestrated. Why would the Obama administration loosen the NSA rules weeks before leaving office? Why would the Obama Justice Department go to the FISA court and try and get wiretaps on the eventual Republican nominee? And his, his uh, team, which was rejected by the FISA court. You realize the request itself is a scandal. Then they go back. They tighten up the request. Okay, okay, forget about him. How about the rest of them? Three of his senior advisors and maybe others. And it's approved. Loretta Lynch never recused herself from anything. Eric Holder, who is in part responsible for the death of a heroic American in ICE, he never recused himself. They want investigations. They want an independent prosecutor. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I wish there was a Republican on Capitol Hill who had the backbone to say, why don't we stand in line with those independent prosecutors? I've, number one, fast and furious. Number two, Holder's contempt of Congress, which went unheeded. Number three, Benghazi. Number four, Hillary Clinton and the uranium to the Russians. Number five, all the money to the Clinton Foundation, an initiative for access to the State Department. Number six, emails and violations, multiple, serial, of Section 793 of the Espionage Act. Then maybe we'll get around to this. The prior scandal-free administration. I am telling you that what this administration did in its last year, in its last six months before leaving office, to try and set in place internally 
within our federal government an apparatus to take down the incoming president of the United States and his administration has the potential to be one of the greatest scandals in American history. I am not saying this to be provocative. This is not hyperbole. I'm one of the few peoples with a, a people with a microphone who has experience at the Justice Department at the highest levels. And now Barack Obama, his, uh, his right-hand hack, Valerie Jarrett, is living in the Obama home in Washington, D.C., the multi-million dollar home, where she's quote-unquote organizing the opposition to the Trump administration. And the Republicans on Capitol Hill are doing what? What are they doing? What's this clown Chavitz doing from Utah? And we need to investigate Kellyanne Conway, who was on TV and said, you know, go out and buy Ivanka Trump's clothes. Oh, my God! We've never seen an ethical violation like this in our entire lives. Go get her! Get, get, get her! Get her! Oh, and did you see the photo? Where Conway's sitting on the sofa with her legs under her sofa? She must have shoes on the sofa. Shoes on the sofa! Oh, my God! Now, of course, Barack Obama repeatedly would sit back in the chair in the Oval Office and kick up his feet on the desk in the Oval Office with his shoes on. Intentionally. As the President of the United States. Bill Clinton would have sex in the Oval Office with underage individuals, in my opinion. Oh, well. So would Lyndon Johnson. So would John Kennedy. But Kellyanne Conway was sitting on the sofa in a way that offended. Really? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion? All students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this study. College. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. This is the March 2nd, 2017 Spygate show that started it all. The IRS reports that $2.24 billion was paid out for fraudulent tax refund claims in 2016. Criminals steal or purchase your W-2 data and use it to file a return in your name. And once you submit your tax forms, the IRS notifies you of the duplicate return and the fraud is discovered. 
protect yourself this tax season by filing early. And don't respond to emails or calls asking for your tax ID. Identity theft is America's fastest growing crime. It happens when thieves use your information to pretend that they're you. And they can buy things on your credit or liquidate bank accounts. LifeLock scans hundreds of millions of transactions every second. And if they detect your information, they send you an alert immediately. If you have a problem, American-based agent will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But let me tell you this. LifeLock is the best identity theft protection available anywhere. Memberships start at $9.99 a month plus applicable taxes. So go to lifelock.com, lifelock.com, use promo code LEVIN, that's L-E-V-I-N, and get 10% off your membership. Or call 1-800-LIFELOCK, 1-800-LIFELOCK. Again, save 10% by using promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, 1-800-LIFELOCK, promo code LEVIN. Joe Manchin of West Virginia, he stepped up, and here's what he said today on CNN. Cut eight, go. And have you, met with the, have you met with the Russian ambassador in your capacity? I have. I've met with the Russian ambassador with a, a group in my capacity with a group of other senators. Yes, that happens. We meet with all the ambassadors, or try to anyway, to build the relationships uh, that you can to have some decorous whatsoever and that we can basically talk and, and have some type of... Uh, uh, interactions back and forth and know where in the world people are coming from. Mm-hmm. So, so that's but, not I mean, unusual. Unbelievable. Now, the fact of a meeting is controversial because the Democrats and their media hounds say so. Ted Cruz on the morning Joe today, the schmo, cut 14, go, hat tip, conservative review. Are you concerned, though, about the Al Franken uh, questioning and answering where Sessions seemed to volunteer that he had never spoken with any Russian officials. Uh, you know, Joe, I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I, I think what we're seeing is, is a lot of political theater. Uh, could, could Jeff have been more clear in what he said? Yes. Uh, I, I, I think it, that was unfortunate. But, but I think context matters a lot. Uh, Jeff was being asked about the Trump campaign communicating with the Russians. I think he understood that he was answering it in that capacity, and, and, and that is perfectly understandable. And, and the reason I say it's political theater is the underlying meeting. You know, this, this morning everyone's in high dungeon about, uh, about this meeting. The underlying meeting is a nothing burger. It, it, it's what senators do every day meeting with foreign ambassadors. That's part of the job. And, and Jeff is a, was a very hardworking senator. He'll be a very hardworking attorney general. And so I think everyone's getting all worked up because it's a chance to beat up the attorney general and beat up the president. But, yep. but I think the underlying meeting is simply doing his job. Nothing burger. I like that word. I'm glad I use it all the time. Nothing burger. The, my, listen, the Mike Flynn thing was a nothing burger. This is a nothing burger. And if Republicans aren't going to stand, the problem is they never stand up. They won't fight over Obamacare, on tax cuts, on, on the debt. They won't fight on the immigration. It's just disgusting. What kind of a party is this? For God's sakes, you're eating your own people. Don't you get it? You're playing right into the hands of the left. I just unraveled this entire scandal. What's going on in this administration? What Obama did, I put together the New York Times pieces with the help of McCarthy, with the help of Walsh. You looked at the Washington Post piece. They're telling you what they did. Now get out there and talk about it. I don't know, you know. He should recuse himself. Recuse himself from what? Did the Democrats ever 
once, just once, in eight years of the Obama administration, demand that his first or his second attorney general recuse themselves from anything. And by the way, as you see this operation unfold, what took place months before in the Obama administration, if you still believe that what took place at the IRS with the targeting of the Tea Party and conservatives was just some bureaucratic snafu, you are dead wrong. I am convinced more than ever this damn thing was hatched out of the White House. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Going back to where it all began, this is the March 2nd, 2017 Silent Coup Show. This guy, Last Refuge, he's a former grocery clerk who uh, runs an alt-right site uh, and will not reveal his name even though we know what it is. He calls himself Sundance. Notice Vice President Pence interviews with Ingram, Hannity, and Savage radio shows yesterday, not Glenn Beck or Mark Levin. It's obvious why. I don't know the Beck situation, but his office asked to come on this program. They wanted to do a taped interview at 1 p.m. yesterday afternoon. Uh, We don't do taped interviews. He had a night event, so we couldn't do it. Isn't that amazing? Or this idiot. Sounds like you're beginning to understand why we elected Trump, Mark. I don't need lectures from morons. I spend three hours a day explaining why I take the positions I take. The American people will do whatever the American people want to do. My audience will do whatever it wants to do. We don't need preening from uh, people who are like, oh, you're going to listen to your betters who are pretending to be our betters. We know exactly what we're doing conservatives, Levinites, constitutionalists. We don't need lectures from morons. But this is what goes on. We have fake bloggers out here and fake websites who are just as bad as the news media. Fake bloggers and fake websites. There's another idiot over there at the increasingly irrelevant American thinker. And unfortunately, people send me this stuff. Trust me, I don't go searching for it. I can't remember his name is Stark, Starkey, Starkly, whatever his name is. We posted it. Mark said he stopped Donald Trump from mentioning the uh, immigration, uh, you know, uh, fallback. Uh, I never said I stopped Donald Trump from anything. I'm applauding this audience. Every single caller who called in condemning the idea that was put into the media by the president and his staff that he would walk back on this issue of the, uh, of the dreamers. And the president has been doing that prior to that discussion. We didn't make it up. They claim to be populists. And when you, the third biggest audience on talk radio, massive audience, millions and millions of you, when you actually act and do something like the Tea Party that we worked with us as well and we're part of, now you're attacked by the so-called populists, the fake bloggers. Because they're not populists. They're cultists. There's a difference. What's going on now with the Democrats and Obama and his sycophants is a silent coup. That's exactly what's going on here. And look how they jumped 
on nothing. Nothing. Everything Obama did was okay. But they jump at the shadows because they want controversy. They want to criminalize politics. They want impeachment. Exactly what I told you the day after the election. This is who they are. Here's Pelosi at her weekly press conference today. Cut nine. Go. Attorney General Lynch had a social encounter, uh, serendipitous, but some might say that the former president of the United States came by to say hello when they discussed their grandchildren. She did not have a major role in the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, this is a completely different thing. The reason we have been saying... Uh, shut up. Stop her there. She was Attorney General of the United States while the FBI was investigating Bill Clinton's wife and potentially Bill Clinton. Far worse than a United States senator as a surrogate for a presidential candidate. Far worse. She was responsible for investigating or overseeing the investigation, the FBI's under her, of the candidate and meets... Not serendipitously, but undercover, if you will, with Bill Clinton. Go ahead. General, Sessions should step aside and maybe should never have been confirmed is because he, he was a surrogate. He was a very important part when the first people... So if somebody supports and works for, in some fashion or another, a candidate for president, they're disqualified. Look look at all the disqualifiers they put out. They're they're disqualified to be attorney general. Is that how they felt of Robert Kennedy? Under John Kennedy? Of course not. Just appalling, these phonies. Go ahead. Doors, uh, President Trump... And now we see uh, that he, uh, although he has not told the truth about it, had conversations uh, with the Russian officials, which why didn't he, if they were innocuous, why didn't he admit it instead of... No, that's the point, you idiot. They were innocuous. What's there to admit? Nothing. Now, this is the same clown who met with Assad in Syria and started negotiating a deal with him. Remember that? She wasn't done. Cut 10. Go. Last night, we learned that Jeff Sessions, the attorney general of the United States, lied under oath. Look look how they put it. Look look how sick this is. Look how sick this woman is. Go ahead. Lied under oath to his colleagues in the Senate and to the American people about his communications with the Russians. There are standards of professional conduct. For attorneys. Ah, shut up, you idiot. I'm so sick of you. Can't you just leave? Such a has-been. Now, we have Schumer. Who's more loathsome? We should do a poll. Pelosi or Schumer? Cut 12, go. There cannot be even the scintilla of doubt about the impartiality and fairness of the attorney general the top law enforcement official of the land. Now, by the way, while they have this orchestration going on, she's out there, words are similar, charges are way over the top and so forth. The Republicans are running scared. Lindsey Graham's running scared. Chaffetz is running scared. Who else is running scared? Uh, 
Susan Collins is running scared. They're all over the place. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe she should recuse. Yeah, you know, he should recuse himself. Portman from Ohio is running scared. There's a whole list of them. Go ahead. It's clear Attorney General Sessions does not meet that test. Because the Department of Justice should be above reproach for the good of the country. Oh, yeah, right. It should be above reproach. Like it's been under the Democrats. Above reproach. Did this man give a damn about Benghazi? He didn't give a damn about it. Fast and furious, he could care less. Could care less. Go ahead. Attorney General Sessions should resign. Oh, so... (laughs) So I think... Chuck Schumer should be expelled from the Senate. I think his effort to participate in this coup, to destroy the Senate rules, to eviscerate our constitutional system, I think he should be expelled from the Senate. What do you think of that, folks? Cut 13, go. The Justice Department must immediately appoint a special prosecutor. Oh, now we didn't have a single special prosecutor for any of the Obama scandals, the IRS, uh, guns sold to drug runners. None of that. None of it. But now all of a sudden they want special prosecutors. Based on what? Based on nothing. Nothing. There's nothing here. But they all know this. They're part of uh, of the silent coup operating out of the shadows. Go ahead. Given that Attorney General Sessions' impartiality is compromised... Uh, that's enough. Shut up. I can't take him either. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. This is the March 2nd, 2017 Spygate show that started it all. Kevin McCarthy is the majority leader of the House Republicans. The guy has an IQ of a, uh, of a sock puppet. And they all go on this morning schmo show. You want to know why they go on the sh- morning schmo show? The guy that looks like uh, the banjo player kid on the bridge in Deliverance. Uh, because he's an easy, he's an easy host. He's an easy host, and he's got this uh, gaggle of, uh, of of folks around him. And uh, there's Kevin McCarthy. Now Kevin McCarthy eventually pulls back, but he's a gutless wonder. He's a useless, gutless wonder. Cut seventeen. Go. 
Do you think he should recuse himself from this investigation given this now disclosed meeting? I think it, I think you the trust of the American people. You recuse yourself in these situations. He yes. should. You, you said you would urge him to I recuse mean, himself. I don't have all the information in front of me. I hey, dummy, to... you don't have all the information in front of you. Then why do you say that? And you don't speak for the trust of the American people. This guy is such a lightweight, such a coward. As soon as the wind blows the wrong way, they, they, they just run for the hills. There they are jumping up like clapping seals when, when Trump walks into the uh, House of Representatives to give his big speech. They can't wait to shake his hand. Rah, 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 rah. Then his attorney general comes under a phony left-wing concocted attack, all manufactured, and this guy's running for the hills. I got to get Paul Ryan his due. He stood firm today. So what the hell is this all about? The Democrats running around with their hair on fire. But here's McCarthy. First sign of liberal resistance, he runs for the hills. You want a guy like this in the foxhole with you? You better believe you don't. Go ahead. For any investigation going forward, you want to make sure everybody trusts the investigation come, that, that yeah. there's no doubt within the investigation. Does that, it's require just easier. His, does that require his recusal, Congressman? I think it'd be easier from that standpoint, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really do. Are we in recess yet? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, Obamacare, my God, we got to... <laughs> they're intended to repeal Obamacare. No, we're going to say we repeal it, but we don't really mean... Come on, come on. Oh, and the wall? Come on now. Come on, wall. You know, wall? What's a wall? You know, we'll put an invisible fence down there, you know, like, like, like the dogs have. You know, invisible fence. Yeah, wall, Yeah. And the American people, this is what they want. The American people, this is is what they want. So sickening. And Lindsey Graham can always be counted on. Cut 16, Mr. Producer, go. If there were contacts between the Trump campaign and Russian officials, they may be legitimate, they may be okay. I want to know... What happened between the Trump campaign, the Clinton campaign, and the Russians? By the way, fair enough. Go ahead. Today is the Russians, tomorrow it could be the Iranians, and to my Republican friends. Oh, good. We should have no joy in our heart. You know what? Shut up. I can't take you either. Another one from the movie Deliverance. Him. Another one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like a Levin search. I want you to call your member of the House of Representatives and your two senators and ask them if any time they have talked to an ambassador from Russia and you want to know when. Call your members of Congress and call your United States senators. Mr. Producer, can we get the number for the switchboard on Capitol Hill? By the way, are they in recess now? No, they're roaming around the halls. We'll get you the number. So, Levin, Serge, I want you to call your member of Congress, and that includes your House member and both senators, and ask them the last time, let's do it, the the last time they spoke with, whether they met with them or not, we don't care, the last time they spoke with the ambassador from Russia, or the embassy from Russia, for that matter. Right? Let's broaden it. That's what we want to know. We'll get you the number after the break. Because now, you see, if they have, now it is a federal offense, and they should resign. Because all of them are running for office all the time. 
And they either backed Trump or backed the Republican or backed Hillary or backed the Democrat, right? So, okay, so there's all kinds of stuff going on here. Let us go to Bill, Fairfax, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Yes, I was in counterintelligence uh, during the time frame that the Obama administration was doing this type of activity. Um, And frankly, they were gutting counterintelligence at that time. We lost about two-thirds of our resources, and they were destroying what we were trying to do relative to Russia, Iran, and China. Um, Yet they were apparently involved in a political warfare campaign using other counterintelligence elements. It certainly looks that way. Uh, I'm familiar with the type of collection that uh, was reported relative to Flynn. That stuff's incredibly sensitive. Um, Very few people know about it. It's in a uh, special access program, and yet... That information being provided to the media? Because they changed the NSA rules on the way out. So it could be provided to 16 different departments and agencies without any privacy concerns. It was That's within, what they did. Yeah, but it was within a SAP. So they couldn't release that information. That, that was a violation of intelligence oversight and the 12333 uh, intelligence activities uh, law. So the, these mm-hmm. people are engaged in illegal activities. And they, they, These people are inv- engaged in espionage against American citizens, are they not, sir? Yes, absolutely. They're engaged in a political warfare campaign against the American people, not just a, 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 an opponent, a political opponent. This is a, a political warfare campaign against the American people, uh, and frankly, they need to be investigated. And frankly, there's a hell of a lot of the agents and analysts who would like to be involved in an investigation of these types of leaks and the compromise of these, uh, in, these incredibly sensitive uh, collection activities. Yeah, because they're political hacks who are doing this, whether they are dressed up as civil servants or not, and they're undermining the work of everybody else. Yeah, we don't want to be used for political purposes. We want to be used against the enemies of the United States, not against the people of the United States or political... Do you, do you agree with me, sir, as I just put together the public record? This has been in the works for months. I would say it's been in the works for even longer than that. Mm-hmm. This is probably a campaign that was begun a couple of years ago. These are the types of campaigns we work against all the time in counterintelligence. Mm-hmm. All right, sir. I appreciate your call. Very helpful. I appreciate it. Rama, Charlotte, North Carolina, the great WSPC. Quickly, go. Hi. <clears throat> I think well, you just nailed everything I was thinking of. I just want to know how we, the people, can get together and get to the bottom of this. These Dems need to, you know, they're destroying this presidency. They're destroying everything. And we, the people, need to stand up and say enough is enough. All right. Appreciate it. And that's the benefit of programs like this, where the people can say what they want. But, uh, you know, these politicians on the Republican side, it's just, it's so painful. You know, as soon as you have a phony scandal that's been created, uh, the Democrats know how to chase them. And they start stampeding. And they, they, they run to the cameras and the, to the microphones. They want to be the first one to say, you know, I, yeah, I think he should recuse himself. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Going back to where it all began, this is the March 2nd, 2017 Silent Coup Show. Let's take some calls. Donna, Frederick, Maryland, the great WMAL. How are you, Donna? Hi, Mark. It's so great to speak with you. You did an amazing job. I couldn't wait to hear you today. Thank Uh, you. What they're doing to, to Jeff Sessions is an outrage. He's a good man. I know people that, that know him personally who've had nothing but the Listen, highest... Listen, let me just stop you for one minute. I know him personally. I've known him th- personally for three decades. First, they try to destroy him when he's nominated for a judgeship, just outrageous. Then they try to destroy him when he's nominated for attorney general. Now he's attorney general. Look what they're up to. But I think the president and his staff need to understand they're out for the president. Ultimately, that's who they want. And that's what's so frightening about it. It's obvious it is a coup with the whole fake Russian story. It's been well-kind, well-orchestrated. They've had this in the works for a while, and even a layperson like myself can figure that out. What really concerns me about Jeff Sessions is he's our law and order man, and they're going after him first. Why? Because of all the fake people that are entrenched in high places in our government who've been leaking out all this information that should not be out there, and they know he's our guy, he's the man who's going to get it done for we the people. It's just an outrage to me. This entire entire civil service system needs to be looked at now, thanks again to the Democrats and how they destroy everything. needs to be looked at again because I can assure you that hundreds— maybe even thousands, but certainly hundreds of Obama apparatchiks weaseled their way into the career civil service system, and they are there to sabotage uh, all these cabinet members, and they are there to sabotage this government. That's what they're there for. Yes, and that's what's so frightening to us, because we knew it was bad. We just didn't know how bad it actually has become. They've been doing this for probably... You know, decades, and and it's a, a, a cry and shame. But we, the people, we're going to stand up. And I bet gonna... there's another lesson here. There's actually a couple, which is this, Donna. You want to give them infrastructure, a big spending bill. You know, you're going to buckle on trade for the for the uh, for the AFL CIO and so forth. You're going to try and make deals with these people. They're not, you know, they'll take what you give them, but they have no intention of being your buddy. They intend to destroy you. Exactly. And the Republicans need to put on their big boy panties and get and do the job they're there for, not this other nonsense to undermine we the people. Mm-hmm. Big boy panties. You're talking about Lindsey Graham, I think. All right, Donna, thank you for your call, my friend. Mike, Detroit, Michigan, how are you, sir? Mark, you are the best. And that lady was touching on uh, something I was going to get at, but first I would like to say this to Mr. Pence and President Trump. They both wanted you and your audience when they were running for election. And toward the end, they started uh, shying away from you. I can understand Mr. Trump shying away. His advisors probably told him, no, 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 because you're going to ask him some tough questions. Mr. Pence, I'm kind of surprised at. He seems like... Well, well, let me just say this. Pence did come on the last night when we were trying to get the vote out in Florida, and I think he was very helpful in that regard. And... 
his office contacted us uh, to tape an interview with him at 1 p.m. yesterday for airing. I don't tape interviews. So he had a dinner event and so forth. So he was prepared to come on. So I will give him that. Either one of them until they can come on and face you. And uh, you know you'll be respectful to them. They of course. Lose, uh, a lot of my respect. Well, they need to. They need to at least. You know, so, some shows live or die by guests. This isn't one of them. Now, what it's I'd not. like to get at is, uh, yeah, Mr. Trump. He's, he's, you said this early in his uh, administration when he, when he got voted that he needs to uh, be careful with everybody he's playing with because they're they're out to get anybody in, in association with him. He's not going to have to worry about it until there's nobody left standing, and then he's the one that. They're ultimately after, and he needs to leave the family at home. Ivanka and Jared. And- uh, well, they they made it. They made a huge mistake when uh, the vice president and Rince Priebus went into the president's office and pressured and pushed to have Mike Flynn removed over nonsense, complete fabricated nonsense. And apparently, Bannon handed him his pink slip. I, I don't know what these guys are thinking. It's a big mistake, and they saw immediately weakness that you would have a, a tremendous man like Mike Flynn, a lieutenant general, who put his neck on the line to back Trump before any other major military figure, brought other military figures with him. It was just, it was just terrible what was done to him. And, uh, and now Sessions is under attack. And they're going to start, I, I told you this early on, I've seen it. I, I've had to experience this in the Reagan administration, see what they tried to do to us. They cherry-pick, they try and divide and conquer, that's what they do. This is just the beginning. We're six weeks in. We're barely even six weeks in. Look what's going on. Well, I don't care that Ivanka and Chelsea get along great. That's probably why he doesn't want to go after Hillary, but he needs to because uh, I, I'm not. Sh- All right, sir. I appreciate your call. I'm not. I don't know. Okay. Let's. I just want to focus on this now. Nicole, Edgewater, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go ahead. Hi. Such an honor to speak to you. Living Thank in you. a. Uh, Blue state like I do, having discovered you recently, um, you make me feel not so alone. And Thank say you. That. Um, you know, with going after Flynn, going after Sessions, you can almost picture Pelosi and Obama and everyone else getting together in a room and laughing at how the Republicans are shaking in their boots when the Republicans need to have a backbone know why they are in the positions that they're in, the American people spoke, and look out for each other. They're- what, they're doing, what they're doing is concocting controversy. They're trying to move it into the criminal area with the special prosecutor nonsense. Uh, they're talking about impeachment. This is exactly what I've been talking about. This, this was predictable. They are out of their minds angry that that they lost the election under the Electoral College process. And they wanted four more years of Obama via Hillary Clinton. And I'm going to tell you what, Obama's invisible hand is very much involved in this. He is a narcissist and a nihilist. He is a radical extremist. Uh, the, the, the thing he did best was a community disorganizer. He doesn't care about the country. He doesn't care about the Constitution. He never did. He burned the whole damn thing down as far as he's concerned. This guy sat in the pews with Jeremiah Wright. This guy counted among his buddies, uh, William Ayer. How many of you out there have domestic terrorists formally as friends? Or uh, this guy, Khalidi, the professor at Columbia, with his ties to Hamas. How many of you have friends who have ties to Hamas? And the Muslim Brotherhood and CARE and all the rest? 
Obama is a disgrace. He was a disaster as a president for all the talk about, oh, Donald Trump must hate Muslims. Who's responsible for more dead Muslims? Who's responsible for more enslaved Muslims? Who's responsible for more enslaved, uh, uh, raped Muslims? Barack Obama or Donald Trump? Barack Obama, that's the answer. Thank you for your call. Look what he did in the Middle East. Unbelievable. Mark, why don't you calm down? Calm down about what? This is called passion. This isn't NPR, for God's sakes. Barry in Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Hi, Mark. Uh, I not only admire your intellect, but I admire so greatly your humor, your irony, your ridicule, and your sarcasm. Those are the kinds of skills that most people don't have anymore, don't use anymore. And you have the facts. You know, I am so ticked off by the slime that call themselves Democrats. They are going after this administration, this president, and anyone who has been part of changing our country. I am so sick and tired. This man, Obama, left and said we didn't have a scandal in our administration. Everywhere we looked, it was a scandal, whether it was Benghazi or whether it was, uh, you you name it, Fast and Furious, IRS or VA. I am so sick and tired of them. Well said, Barry. Very, very well said. Hey, Barry, do you watch CRTV? Don't don't hang up. He's listening to radio. Give him a subscription to CRTV. I like Barry a lot. All right. Let's take another call in here. Richard, Louisville, Kentucky, the great WHAS 50,000-watt blowtorch. Go right ahead. Whatever happened to the president, to the man who went across this country and tore the blue wall down? What happened, where, where, where did the, pres- the man go who took Hillary Clinton and absolutely showed the American people exactly who she was? Mark, I want to know what the cabinet people that he has now, what they must be thinking if this man does not come out and start fighting for P- Jeff Sessions, one of the most wonderful men that has ever graced this country, and now he's had to recuse himself. I just, it it just doesn't... Look look what they've done to Sessions. They've turned him into a bigot, a man that that ensured that the head of the Klan in Alabama would get the death penalty. Do you know of any Democrat who serves in the United States Senate or the House of Representatives who did that? A man who was involved in integrating schools in Alabama? Do you know any man or woman in the House or the Senate, any Democrat who did anything like that? And they turn him into a Klansman? When he's testifying, I've never seen anything so disgusting. And now he is Attorney General of the United States, and the left doesn't like what he's doing. So Obama and the rest, they unleash this stuff. Same damn outlets, the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. And what do the Republicans do? They run. And the president's even barely heard from. Do you support Jeff Sessions still? Totally. That's it? Go ahead. I'm sorry, sir. This morning, Nancy Pelosi came out, and of course, she said uh, uh, that uh, he should he should resign. And when a, when a reporter asked her about Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch, she had the nerve to say, "Well, there was nothing wrong with a social gathering." What? What? I, I, I just I'm, I'm I, you know, Mark. 
I tell you, me and my I know, I know, I know. You're speechless. So am I. She. She is a she is a dismal human being. That's what she is. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This is the March 2nd, 2017 Spygate show that started it all. I want to get back to another subject. We're not going to leave this subject, so I'm going to take the calls, and I want to get into it more, but I want to get into another subject. There's a portrait of a president hanging in the Oval Office. From where the president sits, it's, on, it's over his left shoulder. And the president is Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. I'm going to have a friend of mine on in the next hour. He's a brilliant man. He's a law professor at Chapman Law School, Dr. John Eastman. I've known him a long time. And he sent me an email. And he said the following. Jackson won the election in 1828, largely because of the dispute over John Quincy Adams' unconstitutional spending. Local spending is not for general welfare, said Jackson. When Congress tried to continue such spending, that is, federal spending on local projects, during Jackson's administration, Jackson vetoed the internal improvements, so-called, the internal improvements bills, in very strong terms, in order to put to rest, quote, this dangerous doctrine, unquote. He vetoed as unconstitutional bills appropriating upwards of $200 million to purchase stock in the Maysville and Lexington Turnpike Company and for the direct construction of other what he called ordinary roads and canals by the government itself. So strong was Jackson's veto message that for four years Congress didn't even try to pass another such bill. And when in 1834 Congress passed an act to improve the navigation of the Wabash River, Jackson, again, vetoed and forcibly, forcefully responded. We are in no danger. Well, I'm, I don't have enough time to quote him. I'm going to quote him in the next hour. I really think they ought to take down the uh, portrait of Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson did not believe in infrastructure spending at the federal level or subsidizing state and local infrastructure spending. He thought this was a grave threat to our constitutional and federalist system. And yet that's exactly what this White House is proposing. They should take down the portrait of Andrew Jackson and put up the portrait of Herbert Hoover and put up the portrait of Franklin Roosevelt because those are the guys, more than anyone else, who push for massive infrastructure spending. I'm not talking about a highway system like Eisenhower. We're not talking about this with this $1 trillion grab bag. It's a boondoggle. Money to states, money to localities, money for this, money for that. Andrew Jackson, the portrait in the Oval Office, would have said, hell no. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. 
now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader mark levin Going back to where it all began, this is the March 2nd, 2017 Silent Coup Show. Well, we have the big issue of the recusal, and I want to talk more about that in a little while. But first, I want to talk about Dr. John Eastman, professor of law, Chapman University Law School in Orange County, California. Dear friend of mine, brilliant man. Over at Claremont.org, and we have linked to it, he writes this today. Donald Trump fashions himself a populist, anti-establishment president in the mold of Andrew Jackson. Some key advisors have made the comparison directly. Rudy Giuliani, for example, has claimed that Trump's win was last November was like uh, Andrew Jackson's victory. And I mentioned, of course, that they have the portrait of Andrew Jackson hanging in the Oval Office. Kind of an odd selection, if you ask me, but that's the way it is. It was the people beating the establishment, said Rudy Giuliani. That's pretty funny, Rudy coming from you, no offense. In his first speech before a joint session of Congress, tones of Jacksonian populism resonated in the president's call for a more accountable, less burdensome central government, a return of authority to the people, and a restoration of constitutional limits on the powers of the central government. But Trump also called for $1 trillion in new infrastructure spending. And here the analogy to Andrew Jackson falls spectacularly apart. One of the central issues in the presidential campaign of 1828, in which Andrew Jackson defeated sitting President John Quincy Adams, was the authority of the central government to spend money for, quote, internal improvements, unquote. Contrary to popular belief, the authority conferred on the central government to spend money is not absolute, but it is limited to, quote, the common defense and the general welfare, unquote. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1. Indeed, the Constitutional Convention of 1787 specifically rejected a proposal to give Congress the power to fund internal improvements. Local welfare, like the widening of a street in a town, was therefore not considered to be part of the general or national welfare. Neither was funding of local police departments thought to be part of the common defense. In other words, they understood what was local and state and what was national. In the 1970s, the first Congresses constrained themselves on the score, voting against bills, for example, that would have provided a bounty, what we would call today a bailout, to New England cod fishermen struggling through a recession, or provided seed money loans to glass manufacturers because such were viewed as an unconstitutional support for the local rather than the general welfare. Wow. Protectionism and quotas, too, huh? As one member of Congress put it so presciently, establish the doctrine of bounties, and it is not a few fishermen that will enter claiming ten dollars or $12,000, but all manner of persons, people of every trade and occupation, may enter in at the breach until they have eaten up the bread of our children, unquote. The temptation for members of Congress to bring the bacon home to their constituents quickly proved too great. So the task of enforcing the Constitution's limits on federal spending fell to the veto pens of the early presidents. Presidents Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe all adhered to that view, that spending for purely local internal improvements was not within the authority of the federal government. In an 1822 message to Congress vetoing an internal improvements bill, President Monroe reminded Congress, 
that its power to spend was restricted, quote, to purposes of common defense and of general, not local, national, or not state benefit. But in his final year in office, Monroe opened the door ever so slightly for spending on internal improvements. And his successor, President John Quincy Adams, joined with Congress in unleashing a federal spending frenzy that cost him his re-election. As President James Polk would later contend, the floodgates being thus hoisted, applications for aid from the Treasury, virtually to make harbors as well as improve them, clear out rivers, cut canals, construct roads, poured into Congress in torrents, until arrested by the veto of President Andrew Jackson. Jackson put to rest what he described as this dangerous doctrine that would allow the federal government to spend for local projects. He vetoed as unconstitutional bills appropriating upwards of $200 million to purchase stock in the Maysville and Lexington Turnpike Company and for the direct construction of other, quote, ordinary roads and canals by the government itself. So strong was his veto message that for four years, Congress did not even try to pass another such bill. When in 1834, Congress passed an act to improve the navigation of the Wabash River, Jackson again responded forcefully with a veto message in which he argued against the great danger of unconstitutional acts that, quote, proffer local advantage, unquote. He described as a fallacy the claim that the power to spend for the general welfare was a power to spend for anything that Congress thought would benefit the people, a fallacy which he believed threatened to destroy the carefully balanced division of power between the federal government on the one hand and state and local governments on the other. Now, President Trump's pitch for $1 trillion in new infrastructure spending simply cannot be squared with his Jacksonian predecessor, no matter how popular the spending plan might be, at least not if it is to be paid for out of the federal treasury. But there have been some hints that perhaps President Trump understands the constitutional limits here better than most. He's spoken of tax incentives to encourage infrastructure spending, for example, and of public-private partnerships. Of the public part of those partnerships are state and local governments instead of the federal government. Trump then would be honoring the full Jacksonian legacy, not just the populist uprising part. One big problem stands in the way, of course. The federal government has grown so big and its demands on the tax base so significant that state and local governments are hard-pressed to keep up with necessary infrastructure spending on their own. The federal government has effectively sucked much of the tax oxygen out of the room. But there are two alternative ways to deal with this problem, one unconstitutional in Jacksonian terms and the other constitutional. The unconstitutional route is for the federal government to simply continue to make massive spending on local infrastructure out of the federal treasury and ignore the constitutional limits on its power. The constitutional route is for the federal government to provide incentives for state infrastructure spending by using constitutional means at its disposal. And what such plan might allow individual taxpayers to claim as a credit against their federal income tax any state designed to provide funds for local infrastructure projects. Better than block grants to the state, which don't solve the problem of unconstitutional spending at all. And he goes on. The core, the point is, People throw this word populism around, and I have cautioned over and over and over again, populism and nationalism. These are the words that have been embraced by the progressives for over a hundred years. The People's Party in the 1800s ran a presidential candidate. It was later devoured by the progressives. 
nationalism was pushed by the progressive intellectuals, guys like Crowley, and uh, among others, and uh, Dewey, and of course Wilson, were using the language of the progressive left to grow central government. And it frustrates me to no end to hear people say that this is a conservative thing, that's just a difference between conservatives, neoconservatives, no, it's not. It's flat-out liberalism and progressivism. The Constitution doesn't authorize it. This is something that's developed out of the progressive movement, and it's been done by Republicans and Democrats. Just endless spending. Just call it infrastructure and off to the races. Now, on top of all this, not only is it not Jacksonian, the fact is we don't have the money. So it's unconscionable. It's reckless. And yet, I appear to be in a minority. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is the March 2nd, 2017 Spygate show that started it all. Dr. John Eastman, outstanding professor of law, Chapman University School of Law, Orange County, California. How are you, my friend? I'm well. I'm well. It's good to talk to you, Mark. It's a pleasure. So Andrew Jackson. So Andrew Jackson was a big believer in massive infrastructure spending by the federal government, wasn't he? (laughs) Just the opposite, but I, I should say we've got a, a, I've got a piece of this, and I wear my other hat at the Claremont Institute, uh, and Claremont Review of Books Digital has this up now. Um, the, the and, and let me say we've linked to it on Mark Levin Show Facebook and Mark Levin Show Twitter. It's outstanding. Go right terrific. ahead. Terrific. Thanks. So, yeah, this was, this was not just a, a, an issue for Andrew Jackson. This was the key issue that made him president against John Quincy Adams in 1828. Uh, strongly objecting to the notion that the federal government had power to spend for local infrastructure projects, or what they then called internal improvements. Uh, it was no part of the, the, the language in the Constitution, which is the power to spend, quote, for the general welfare. And that was very specific. It meant not local or regional welfare. It meant only the things of common interest to the entire country. Mm-hmm. And yet we keep doing this, Republicans and Democrats, and now we give it a new name. Rather than out-of-control liberal spending, we call this, what, populism. Yes, and, and so the point of my piece is to uh, praise President Trump for picking up on the populism aspect of, 
uh, President Jackson's tenure in office, but missing entirely this notion that he thought that there were limits on the federal government's power to spend, no matter how popular the spending might be. And there was a lot of popularity. You know, you you spend money to bring somebody's widen somebody's road or what have you. Uh, you know, it's going to have some popularity in the local town that benefits from the private the widening of the road. But why should folks in Rhode Island pay for a widening a road widening project in Santa Clara, California, or vice versa, uh, rather than the folks locally paying for their own infrastructure? And a lot of times it's the federal taxpayers subsidizing a list of silly projects, too, that states have. Let me ask you this. Jackson also opposed the central bank, didn't he? He did. He did. Now, and, and, you know, and then we get into all of the stuff about the Fed and everything else. But, I, look, I think there's a bigger problem here. No, I, what, I'm get, what I'm getting into there was so committed, was he, to federalism that, uh, you know, when, when, when we hear about this, this central control of the economy or trade or tariffs or on and on and on, Jackson wasn't into that. No, that's right. And I think, you know, the other part of President Trump's speech on Tuesday night uh, that said we're going to restore the rule of law and respect for the rule of law. One of the key things is, is you know, restoring respect for the limits on federal power that are contained in the Constitution. So, I, and I think, I think the, the, the rubber's going to hit the road here on this uh, $1 trillion uh, infrastructure spending bill. It could be done in ways that are likely constitutional. You could figure out ways to transfer that authority uh, to the state and local governments and let them decide then how much to spend. And if, and if they don't have the resources to do that because the federal government has sucked too much out of the tax base, then reduce the tax base at the federal level and let the states decide what they're going to do. Well, listen, this is a very, very important piece you wrote, and I want to thank you for reaching out. We have a link to it, uh, and uh, I want to thank you. Well, Mark, thanks very much, and thanks for taking the lead on this issue and, and raising the red flag about it. It's extremely important if we really are going to restore constitutional government. And by the way, how's it going out there in California? Are they seceding or not? Well, you know, there's talk of seceding, and then in, uh, in Orange County we're talking of seceding from their succession. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could go for that. i got kids out there. That's right. That's right. But, no, they're, they're, they're just going to uh, be loud mouths against everything the Trump administration does for the next eight years. And, you know, let them, let them do that. And just... But they can't make up their mind, John, the leftists out there. First, they want money from Washington. On the other hand, they want to secede. Now, which is it? Well, that's right. And then the other thing is, first, they said the federal government has exclusive power over immigration, so Arizona couldn't help enforce federal yep. law. And now it, the federal government has no say in immigration because the local state should be able to decide it. So they can't make up their minds. I have been calling them neo-Confederates who support nullification. Do you agree? I do. I do. And, and in fact, what we saw in the immigration orders and, and the, the, the judicial play here was really an attempt to nullify the results of the last election. And I think, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see over the next four years. Mm -hmm. Well, you're a, uh, you really are a national treasure. Brilliant man. I always, always enjoy talking to you, as, as rare as it is. So, John, I want to thank you. Be well. Give all our best to everyone at Chapman and at Claremont. All right. Very good. Thanks so much, Mark. Take care. All right. Be well. He is exceptional. He's exceptional. And there's an exceptional piece in The Sun, The New York Sun, which is an outstanding uh, news source. I enjoy it very much. I want to read this to you. The, ses the Sessions Recusal. Here's their editorial. Quote, If I could have done so in good conscience, 
I would have been pleased to demonstrate my integrity and immediately silence the criticism by getting off the case. Since I believe there is no basis for recusal, I cannot. The motion is denied. Those are the words with which President Trump's ideal Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia refused to recuse himself from a case involving his duck hunting pal, Vice President Dick Cheney. He was reacting to a recusal motion from the Sierra Club, and he made short work of it in a magnificent opinion that begs for study in the wake of the recusal today by Attorney General Sessions in the investigation in respect of Russia. What the great Scalia suggests is that there is a fine line between recusal and dereliction, that there are times when the better part of integrity is just to man up and do one's duty. Scalia did not feel there were grounds for recusal in the case, in which he'd gone on a duck hunting trip with Mr. Cheney. His bigger point, though, was that sticking to one's post has its own moral imperative in competition with the tug of recusal. In respect to the famous duck hunting trip with Vice President Cheney, the Sierra Club, which was seeking Scalia's recusal, argued that because, quote, the American public, as reflected in the nation's newspaper editorials, has unanimously concluded that there's an appearance of favoritism, any objective observer would be compelled to conclude that Justice Scalia's impartiality has been questioned and made recusal mandatory. The implications of this argument are staggering, Scalia retorted in a formal opinion. I must recuse because a significant portion of the press, which is deemed to be the American public, demands it. Recusal, he reckoned, would harm the court. And he suggested that allowing the press to run a justice off a case, quote, would give elements of the press a veto over participation of any justices who had social contacts or a friendship with a named official. That, he wrote, is intolerable. So the New York Sun writes, our own view is that Attorney General Sessions faced a similar burden and that the better part of valor would have been to stand his ground. He drew the assignment as Attorney General because President Trump trusted his judgment. The President has made it clear that he retains full confidence in Mr. Sessions. His stepping aside is a kind of dereliction and over-eagerness to protect his reputation with the Democratic press at the expense of the voters. It is particularly disappointing because Mr. Sessions made the decision after talking with what the New York Times called career officials at the Justice Department. Of course, career officials at the Justice Department would incline toward recusal. It is important, though, that the decision-making in this, as in any case, be made by political appointees, which is why every United States attorney is in every district in America. Both parties long ago learned the dangers of runaway independent counsel. Before Mr. Sessions announced he would recuse himself, the president spoke to reporters, and he said that he totally supports, that he totally supports Sessions. They asked if he should recuse himself. He said, I don't think so. An hour later, Mr. Sessions announced his recusal. If we were Mr. Trump, a stretch to be sure, we wouldn't accept it. We'd order him to stick with his job and pursue an honest investigation and refer inquiring reporters to the language of the great Antonin Scalia. I shall return. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Going back to where it all began, this is the March 2nd, 2017 Silent Coup Show. Let's take a few calls here while we can slip them in. Greg, Kansas City, Kansas, the great KCMO. Go! Mark, from the time of the reset button, Obama was ready to bow to Russia. Seven and a half years, Russia could do anything they wanted. We had a lopsided nuke deal with them. He took territory in the Ukraine. We heard him tell Medvedev he'd do more when he got reelected. We had Russian troops training in Colorado. We stopped the missile defense in Poland. We had uh, Russian planes bu- uh, buzzing our ships. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump, I don't know if he knows what's going on or not, but he needs to keep it simple. Keep it simple. The Russians aren't good. This smells like the well, Russians. What, what, what do you make of the code pink Republicans uh, in our midst? Well, I think they. I think that the, I think they're crazy as hell. I really do. They, uh, they share the same ideology as the Russians, Mark. This smells like the Russians with the leaks. Because well, they same they they certainly share the same ideology as Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. True. I mean, Russia is the enemy. Doesn't mean you go to war with them tomorrow. Did Reagan go to war with them? No, but he was committed like hell to defeating them. And uh, well, Putin is extraordinarily aggressive. All right, my friend, I agree with you in every respect. I do. Zach Lamar, Missouri, the great KZRG. Go. Good evening, Mr. Van. It's an honor to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Um, as the uh, great historian that you are, I may interest you to know, I'm calling about four blocks away from the birthplace of Harry S. Truman. Is that right? Independence? It is. is that where you grew? I don't Lamar. know where he was born. Lamar, okay. Lamar, Missouri. Little little town south of Kansas City. Yep. Um this, just to touch on what you were so, talking So about. much for my expertise on Harry Truman, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure you still know more than I. Um, just to touch on what you were talking about earlier, like I told your call, screen, call screener, uh, it makes me rather uh, upset at our federal, federal government with this out-of-control spending. Uh, I'm 27 years old. I uh, went to uh, Pittsburgh State University right across the border in Kansas. I paid my way through school, got a four-year degree. Uh, my wife and I got married. We've been married six years, and just this last Monday, we just now got internet at the house because we chose to live within our means. So it makes me rather angry that our federal government can't seem to do the same thing. The federal government can't do the same thing, and people putting demands on the federal government, they seem to think they ought to get freebies. We have a very a very bleak psychology that's developed as a result of the progressive movement and the left and all the rest of it, and it continues to this day. And 
That's why they're having a problem repealing Obamacare. There's so many goodies in Obamacare, the Republicans don't want to burn themselves. Well, we don't want to be the ones to do damage to the health care system. Uh, Excuse me? We're not asking you to do damage to the health care system. We're asking you to repeal Obamacare. Well, if we do that, if something goes wrong, it's on us. Have you ever heard of the word leadership? All right, Zach. By the way, Zach, don't hang up. Zach, uh, you have Internet. Do you have, like, iPhones or Androids or anything like that? I do. I have an iPhone. All right. I'm going to send you CRTV for this year. Don't hang up for an entire year. I know you're going to like it. Joe, Atlanta, Georgia, the great W-Y-A-Y. Go. Mark, thank you for being a great patriot and having me on the show tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I I wanted to talk to you about my experience very briefly with CRTV. And, Mark, uh, over the last few years, I've become more and more engaged in politics and listening to your show and and, you know, trying to be a, you know, a, a better and more educated conservative. And I was on the fence. I'm going to tell you the truth. I was on the fence about getting it. And January 13th, they decided to sign up. And, I, and I'm extraordinarily glad that I did. Um, when President Trump signed his executive order on immigration, I didn't understand, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners didn't understand, exactly how the circuit system worked in the courts. Because I know I didn't, and when Judge Robart put that, uh, let's say, uh, at the least, a progressive liberal decision uh, based upon what he what he ruled, I didn't understand why the Ninth Circuit had to take the appellate. And I didn't understand why we couldn't go into a different circuit to appeal. And the way that you broke it down on CRTV, I have to tell you, you had me hooked ever since. I watch it almost every single night. And the way that everything is cataloged, I have to tell you, Mark, it is such a great supplement. And to anyone who's really thinking about signing on to CRTV, they've got to do it. It's just been extraordinary. You uh, are really kind. I don't know you at all, right? We've never talked before, right? We've never met Mark. Uh, Unfortunately, we've never had a chance to meet. I'd love to talk politics with you and go to lunch one day, believe me. But, (laughs) no, I've never never met you before. It's just just great to be on the show and to tell you my experience because it, it really was something that, I said to myself, I said, you know what, for $99, why can't I sign up and, and do this? And I have to tell you, I've told some of my clients about it. And in fact, what I'm thinking about doing is getting this for some of my clients um, as a Christmas gift. Um, well, listen, everybody's going to think this is a setup, and it's not uh, a setup. It's not a setup. I can promise you it's not a setup. Absolutely and, not. And uh, I really want to thank you. And I tell people, check it out now. You get seven days free trial. And if you like it, you join us. And if you don't, you drop it. And I think people will like it. I'm willing to bet on that. I, well, I listen, Joe, I, I really want to thank you. You're very, very kind. And uh, thanks for the commercial. All right, take care of yourself. That's a truthful man. I don't know Joe, but I'm glad he called. I want you to know. It's better when other people say it. It's better when other people say it so you experience it. And I think you'll enjoy it. Let us go to Brad, Annandale, Virginia, the great W-M-A-L. Go. Hey, Mark. Thanks for taking my call, and thank you for your voice. Thank I you. think, um, you know, the common thread for oh, both so of you. Like, you like my voice. You're the one. I, <laughs> only when you get angry. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's one thing that exceeds my ex-wife in, oh, in yes. volume and intensity. So yes. um, I, I think the one thing that kind of joins both of your topics together tonight is, yes. you know, they're perfect vignettes for term limits. When you start talking about populism, you talk popular, and, you know, clearly what we see from the Democrats are any attempt that they can make to try and regain a majority in the next elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy Pelosi clearly wants to be Speaker of the House again. They want their committee chairs back. 
But you have to look at the Republicans and Republicans and wonder, you know, what the heck is going on? What are you responding to? Um, you're not forced right now to advocate your ideals. You're not forced to advocate your electoral advantage. You're not forced to advocate your current positions of power. So what is going on? And I think it's really kind of an approach that's hitting them from, from two different vectors. And I would offer a term that, that, that uh, we use in the military. I spent 26 years in the military, and, and I, I'm still a contractor for the federal government, and that's strategic patience. You need to learn to weather the storm sometimes and not open your mouth unless it, it demands a response. And a lot of this doesn't demand a response. I think a lot of the uh, congressmen and senators that are coming up and scratching their heads going, well, you know, I don't know if it, if it smells like a dead fish, we should probably treat it like a dead fish. I think they're responding to uh, local, organized, and coordinated protest calls that aren't busy at the town hall but still organized, calling and, and replicating the impression that they have to respond to constituents. Why? Because they want to stay in office. They want to be able to to perpetuate their position. And then I think really the final thing that most people miss out both in the media and through the modern education system, I've got grown kids in their 20s that I can barely converse with because it's all emotional and opinion-based rather than mm -hmm. rational and argument-based, is this, you know, the, the Islam has what they call the jizya, that they tax on conquered non-Muslim peoples. And, and we hear this drumbeat of intellectual jizya, that we are supposed to pay penance for white guilt, male guilt, heterosexual guilt, financial guilt, Christian guilt, gun owner guilt, and at the end of the day, penance for patriotic guilt. I'm supposed to feel penance for that. And I think it causes a lot you know, of I, I hate to cut you off, because I'm really enjoying this call. I'm enjoying what you're saying. It's, it's really terrific. But I have a hard break. But I want to thank you very, very much, Brad. And call again. I really, I really appreciate that. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is the March 2nd, 2017 Spygate show that started it all. Let us go to uh, Mark, Springfield, Illinois, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? Um, I'm great. And I just wanted to call and say thank you for everything that you do. I have three kids, and they hop in the car, and we listen to Mark Levin, and they just they can't get enough of it. It's hilarious. My six-year-old's asking can we listen to Mark Levin even when you're not on? And um, my 14-year-old, 
my 14 year old the other day we went to barnes and nobles and they all got gift cards you know and he went and he bought liberty and tyranny and uh i was so proud because wow he's such a smart kid and i think that it's really important that my children are, are getting a conservative standpoint and actually understanding the truth and i feel like they're not really able to hear that in the schools that they're in and as well as you know the the media and everything else it's it's a roller coaster and uh you know what, was, what are what are your kids first names um chase caleb and carly chase caleb and carly those are beautiful names yeah that's the wife's choice she's pretty good at it <laughs> okay you know what you sound pretty good yourself thank you mark these positive calls, are, they really are a nice shot in the arm. I appreciate it. Matt, Sirius in Illinois. How are you, sir? Hi, Mark. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Hey, I, I just feel that, uh, you know, it was a real shame to hear how Senator Sessions, uh, or now Attorney General Sessions, you know, was rolled up in all this. And I wish he wouldn't have recused himself and took the uh, Scalia approach to everything. Um, I, I think it's time we go on offense. I mean, we have to. I mean, take the language back as well, like you've said before. It's time we take, and, um, you know, this whole thing about political retaliation, I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton broke the law. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, Fast and Furious, people lost their lives. It's time to take these people, hold them accountable, and, you know, make it right. You know, is it? it as a military veteran, it just angers me to see people who are supposed to be serving our country um, just spit on us like that. It's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I really am. And uh, now's the time to fight. We have nothing to lose here. I mean, they're trying to take down a, uh, an elected president. They're trying to take down this administration. It's obvious what's going on. It's obvious what the prior administration did. And I hope, thank you for your call, my friend. I hope all those, all you folks who are tuning in now who didn't hear the first hour, please check it out on MarkLevinShow.com, my uh, radio website, MarkLevinShow.com. Or you can hear good pieces of it at Conservative Review or our buddies at Right Scoop. But I hope you'll listen to it because I think it's very important. Not because I said it, but because we put together the various pieces and... uh, Uh, There's a big scandal here, a massive scandal. It has nothing to do with Jeff Sessions. It has nothing to do with General Flynn. Matter of fact, it has nothing to do with Trump or any of his people. It has to do with what has taken place and what took place before this president was sworn in. So please take a listen to the first hour. And also, we have a wonderful, wonderful Levin TV for you tonight. Folks, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I will see you on Monday. Mr. Bongino will be here tomorrow. Check out Levin TV now and check out this radio show tomorrow. God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.